Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verses 21 through 35 today. Please rise as we read God's holy word. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. He said, Pay me back what you owe me. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. May God bless this reading of his word. Please have a seat. Well, if nobody has officially congratulated you, congratulations, you survived 2020. Yourself a little pat on the back that you made it. Not only made it out of 2020, you made it out of the holiday season. Some of us packing on a few more pounds worth of fruitcake, uh, sleeping in. I woke up a little too late this morning, texted my wife, said, can you get the kids breakfast? I overslept. I got to run to church. She's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. But it's, uh, it's that feeling of a new year that kind of hit me over the last couple of days. As I'm wrapping my mind around the fact that this is actually January, it's even more the fact that this is 2021. And every time we turn the calendar, we, we hang up the new, the new calendar, and we have a realization of that this is a fresh start, right? This is a do-over. This is a new year. And so many possibilities, 365 days worth of them already in front of us. It's a second chance to do things the right way. It's why some of us make resolutions and then break them by February 1st. We want to become better people. We want to seize that do-over, that new chance. And we want to see what we can do. If we can do look at the mistakes of 2020, and do something better this year. Well, that sounds like a good plan. Well, to be a total buzzkill, because that's what I am, I have to say that a new year is just an illusion of a second chance. It's just a day later, really. We're bringing into it all of our problems, all of our baggage, all of our bad habits. We're bringing into it everything. Thanks, Pastor Justin. You're really picking me up here. It's bringing into it all these things that we already had on December 31st. It doesn't necessarily mean that 2021 is, is a fresh start, is it? It doesn't mean we really get a second chance. Well, the calendar doesn't give us 
a second chance. The new day doesn't give us a second chance. But we still have this desire to seize that in our life. It reminds me of a college football coach. We were talking talk with um, some people about college football beforehand. Apparently it's not as big here, but back in Michigan it was all we'd ever talk about. Forget the Lions. It was all, all college football. And that college football coach, he had a star player on his team who he couldn't put in the next game because he was failing his math class. And the, the coach was beside himself. He's like, i got to have this guy in the game. So he went to the professor. He said, is there anything you can do? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Come on, can we get this guy in the next game? And the professor said this. He said, listen, I, I, I'm not completely unethical. Bring, bring the player in. Bring Fred in. I'll give him a little test. I'll ask him a question. If he can answer one math problem successfully, you can put him in the next game. I'll pass him. They brought Fred in, and the professor said, okay, listen, what is two plus two? And Fred said, four. And the college football coach said, give him another chance. Just give him another chance. Because the coach was, don't, never mind. Anyways. Every time I hear that story, I think, isn't that our cry to God every day? Just give me another chance, God. Just give me another. I know I messed up yesterday. I know I messed up in 2020. Just give me another chance, and I'll do better this time. Well, the good news is that we get a second chance, and it's not contingent upon a calendar changing the page. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that we get a second chance but that the second chance cuts both ways. We need to be very careful with it. So let's look at it today. When it comes to the topic of second chances, it seems to be generally I encounter people with two varying views on it. Either people who just like believe in second chances for everybody. Everybody should have a second chance. I believe second chances are just part of the world. And then I've met people who think second chances are foolish, that we shouldn't give people a second chance because People don't change, right? They're just they're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. Is there a third option? I believe there is. Because in Matthew 18, we look at how God views second chances. And it's very different than both of these views of just give everybody them just because and people don't deserve them. In Matthew 18, in this chapter, to give you some context, Jesus has gathered all his disciples together for a bit of a leadership training seminar. He sees that they're the future leaders of the church. So he says, I want to just talk about some different topics. I want to teach you guys some things. So he gets into different topics like humility, how they as leaders need to be humble, about how God pursues sinners, about God, how he wants them to deal with conflict between believers. And when God, and when Jesus gets to the topic of forgiveness, Peter raises his hand. Practical, Peter, always practical, always looking at the bottom line. God, give me exact nuts and bolts of everything. He says, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive people? Do we have to forgive them, say, seven times? Now, this may just go right over our head, but Peter thought he was being incredibly generous. Back in Judaism of that time, it was required for a holy, righteous person to forgive people three times maximum. Three times. That's pretty good. You, you sin against me once, I'll forgive you. You sin against me twice, I'll forgive you. Three times, then that's it. I cut you off never again. I never have to forgive you after that. Parents loved that one. They never had to forgive their kids after three times, right? 
So Peter thought he was being generous. He was going double that plus one. Seven times. Look how, Jesus, look how forgiving I am. Seven times. And Jesus said, Peter, not seven times. Seventy-seven times, or seven times, seventy times. Or basically, Peter, there's no limit on how often you need to forgive. Jesus was breaking the mold as he often did back then. You don't put a limit on forgiveness. As Peter's kind of digesting this, and it's really flipping his worldview over, Jesus shared this parable of a king, of a master, who forgave a truly massive debt that a servant owed. And this, this amount of money that we, we theologians, we pastors like to, to figure out exactly how long it would take you to pay off this, the general consensus is this man would have had to work 200,000 years to pay off the amount of money based on the day's wage of the time. We're not even including interest. At that point, he'd never pay it off. It was an impossible amount. An impossible amount he could never even think of pay off. And his master looked at him and forgave it. And of course, we're drawing a parallel here. We're going, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He looked at this massive, incredible debt of sin that we have racked up against a holy God. One sin is already an infinite uh, rebellion, act of rebellion against God requiring infinite justice. And uh, how many sins have we done past one? It's that we can't even count them. We'd be here forever. But Christ looked at us He looked at us and he said, I love you so deeply. I am a God of mercy. I am a God of love. I am a God of grace. I am a God of second chances. And so I will pay your debt. He doesn't just say, well, it's no big deal. He doesn't say everybody deserves that second chance. He says it's not a big deal to give it. He doesn't say nobody should deserve a second chance. He says, giving you a second chance will cost me dearly. But I love you so much that I want to pay that price to give it to you. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm really glad there's an and there. Because if it just stopped at all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there would be no hope. No hope for us. In other words, he's saying, you don't deserve this second chance but I'm giving it to you anyways because I love you. So take this opportunity. Start fresh. Start new. Jettison that baggage of sin that you've been carrying around for so very long. All your bad choices, all your bad decisions, the life that you thought you could live on your own, and you've made bad choice after bad choice, now I'm giving you a fresh start. Now I'm giving you a do-over, a second chance. So live that life of grace. But wait, Pastor Justin, you say. Wait, that sounds good for other people. You can give them a second chance. But me, I'm just too damaged. I'm just too flawed. I'm too aware of my sins. And I have messed up one too many times. Or I've done that one thing that I can't even admit in public because people wouldn't ever look at me again. I'm damaged goods. And I can't be trusted with a second chance. And to that, I say, well, look at how the Bible trots out a parade of damaged people. I mean, just everybody you look at in the Bible, Noah and his drunkenness, Peter and his denial of Christ, Moses and his pride, David and his murder, Zacchaeus and his theft, the woman at the well's adultery, Paul's persecution, Abraham's lies, Samson's stupidity. Damaged people 
damaged goods, and yet God looked at them and said, I want to give you a second chance. I want to redeem you. And for the most part, they took it. If you think that you're damaged goods, if you think you've messed up way too bad, then I want to be the first to welcome you. Welcome you to the body of Christ. Welcome you to a church full of damaged, damaged people. There's not one person in here who can't look at themselves and say, I'm not broken in some way, but Christ is the one who puts me back together. He's the one who healed me and gave me that second chance. Most Christians know we can say the Lord's Prayer without thinking it, and I hope you can, because later in this uh, service we're going to say it together. But we should think about the Lord's Prayer when we pray it, because there is an incredibly dangerous sentence in that prayer. And that's when we get to this particular line, and we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some of us have grown up in different traditions. We might have grown up saying, forgive us our sins, or forgive us, if you're really proper, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against. That, that makes you sound really Catholic. But that's, that's good. That's, either any of those that you say, that's fine. But that sentence is dangerous to say to a holy God. Think about what you are saying. You are saying to God, who is holy and almighty, you say, God, forgive me the same number of times that I forgive other people. I don't ever really want to pray that prayer. Because if I pray that prayer and God takes me up on that prayer, then will all my sins truly ever be forgiven? If God does a one-to-one exchange here, no, obviously not. It's a dangerous prayer, but Christ still wants us to pray it. Why? Because he wants us to see the world as God sees it. He wants us to, to mimic God, to be imitators of him. And as God has forgiven us of an incalculable debt, he wants us to be for, constant forgivers of others. And that prayer is a reminder to us that we, should pray, that we should forgive others. You see, you don't pray to change God's mind. You pray so that God changes your mind. And that's one thing that the Lord's Prayer does there. What Jesus is saying here to his disciples, it's nothing new, but it's absolutely vital for these up-and-coming leaders of the church to understand. See, before too long, Peter and James and John, all the rest of them, they're going to be presiding over congregations. They're going to be heading up churches. They're going to be getting this job right here. And they're going to be missionaries in some cases. They're going to be founding churches. And every church that they're going to found and they're going to preach to is going to be full of sinners who are going to bicker with each other, they're going to get into fights, they're going to hold grudges, they're going to have gossip, they're going to have all these issues we think are brand new to the 21st century, but they were doing all the way back there in the 1st century. And Jesus is trying to teach them, you future leaders of the church, you need to show them to be forgiving. You need to preach it and you need to show it so that they can start forgiving each other, so that this forgiveness can be the glue that holds the body of Christ together. That's a problem here. It's a problem for us. Because as we read this parable, we identify with it so painfully. Because even as the, the master forgives the servant, the servant has a hard time doing so in return. And we look at ourselves and we go, we can be so stingy with our forgiveness. We can want, it takes one act of betrayal, one slight against us, and we will hold that grudge forever. I often joke with Joy that she holds the weirdest grudges against me. Not the serious ones. 
It's always the little weird ones that she'll bring up like five years later, and I've forgotten all about it. She's like, I can't trust you with that, because remember that one time you left our son at the store? And I'm like, you remember that? Yeah, it's like, you hold those grudges. We do that. We hold weird grudges. We hold serious grudges. And we don't forgive nearly as often as we should, especially when we look at the debt that God repaid on our behalf. Now, we get to the point where you're thinking here, you think, well, that's fine for most situations, but not what I'm going through. And I'll admit to you here, let's be honest, some situations where we need to forgive people, a lot of it's petty little stuff. I would say 90%, 95% of, of conflicts between people in the church really is stuff we should just let go. It's not a big deal. We, we hold, uh, inflate things. We make mountains out of molehills. But sometimes it is serious. Sometimes it is a serious situation where somebody has been deeply wounded and where hand-waving it away is not the right way to deal with the situation. And it's in these situations where we go, is Jesus truly asking us to forgive an abuser? To forgive a drunk driver who killed a loved one? To, to forgive somebody who stole something of me? To forgive somebody who has gossiped or ruined my reputation so that people have turned against me? I have so many stories. You have so many stories where we can really point to very serious situations where we go, in this case, can I forgive? I don't think I can. I think that person crossed the line, and I know Jesus says I should forgive, but that's, Pastor Justin, come on, that's really unforgivable. What they did was unforgivable. Well, a couple of years ago, you probably, it's only been two years, so this is, should be pretty fresh. You remember that Olympic gymnast scandal that happened with a, a man named Larry Nasser, who was a physician to a bunch of underage kids, and he abused many of them. And he was found out, and he was brought to trial, and he was convicted of this. And at the trial, the key accuser, Rachel uh, Denhollander, got up, and she had this opportunity to address the man who had wronged her as a kid so deeply. And I, I don't know if you ever had the, this kind of fantasy of being able to go back to somebody who's really wronged you and give them the peace of your mind. But I was, I've watched this. where on, You can see this on YouTube. It's incredible. She had this opportunity to just give him a piece of her mind. Tell him how deeply he hurt her. How, how messed up, how broken he made her view of sexuality and how, how much therapy she had to go through in her life and how wounded and how she just wished she would go to hell. All these things that you would expect her to say. But instead, Rachel, who's a born-again Christian, got up and she preached the gospel to this man. And it is one of the most astounding things you see. You watch this guy. He has not asked for forgiveness in the slightest. He's been defiant to the last. He is, he's just looked at her impassively. And she said this. She said, Larry, I pray that you encounter the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you, one may, may experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God which you need more than forgiveness from me, but I'm going to give you my forgiveness as well. Larry, you need to be forgiven by God. My forgiveness is much less than that, and I'm willing to give that to you. She was able to forgive something that most of us 
I would say vast majority of us would consider unforgivable. And as you're thinking about those unforgivable things that you have never forgiven in your life, and you're holding on to those because they're just, they wounded you too deeply, look at Jesus on the cross. Look at him as he was crucified by people shouting at him with angry faces, kill the Son of God. As he looked at our faces that put our sins on him on that cross, and we screamed at him, kill him. Kill him instead of us. Kill the Son of God. And he looked down at us, and with love he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. I know what they're doing. I know the enormity of the sin that they have done against me. But forgive them anyways, Lord. Forgive them. You think something's impossible to forgive? It isn't. It absolutely is not. I'm not denying that those situations are agonizing. After the first service, got into a conversation about said, well, does that forgiveness mean you need to open up your life, let those people back in, you need to let your guard down? No. Somebody's really hurt you and might hurt you again. Keep your guard up. Have those safeguards in place. I'm not saying forgiveness means you're just utterly forgetting what they've done. Forgiveness is the first step of letting go of your hatred, letting go of the, the revenge in your heart so that you can let Christ come in and start to heal you. Who is the, second, who is the person in your life who needs a second chance today from you? Who needs to hear the words from you? I forgive you. You wronged me. That wasn't right. I deserve, I deserve justice in this situation, but I forgive you. There's a man named George. He was having a horrible year, even worse than your year last year. He was having a really bad year. He lost his job and he couldn't make the mortgage payments. And one day he got that red letter notice in the mail said, you either pay this month or the bank is going to foreclose on your home. So George went to the bank with his hat in his hand. He went up to the bank manager and he just gave him his sob stories. I lost my job. Please, if there's any way you could see it, give me one more month. One more month to make a payment. And the bank manager looked at this man, and he had great pity, great compassion upon him. He said, listen, I'll tell you what. I'm not just going to give you a month. The, the bank, we're going to forgive your mortgage. We're going to wipe out this entirely. And George left the bank that day, owning his house free and clear. Can you imagine going into it with just thinking this was it? This was your last Hail Mary and walking out. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're in a completely different state. He was over the moon. He threw a party. He invited all his best friends over. He wanted to celebrate. Man, it just, he was given a new lease in life, and he was ecstatic about it. And during this party, he heard the doorbell ring. He went in, opened it, thought it was another friend coming in. But there was his half-brother, Simon, on the doorstep. And George groaned, because Simon was the kind of guy who would never show up in your life unless he was looking for a handout. He never, had, he never worked a day in his life, that lazy guy, that's Simon. And in fact, George remembered that very instant when he opened the door and he saw his half-brother, he said, he thought, man, last year I, I lent him a hundred bucks and this guy never paid it back. But there was Simon looking for even more money. And as Simon opened his mouth, George cut him off and he started screaming and ranting at him, shoving him saying, you owe me a hundred bucks. You pay me back before I ever lend you another red cent. And he slammed the door in his face. But as that door was closing, 
as George was looking at Simon, he looked past him, and he saw coming up the driveway the bank manager with the papers to his house in his hands. And he looked at the stunned expression on that man's face before the door closed. What do you think the bank manager should do next? This parable in Mark, Matthew 18 here, it's really hard for us to absorb in our lives because I think we get on board really quickly at the beginning of this story. Remember, Jesus is often telling a parable to get a reaction out of us, to get some sort of, some sort of response. So on board, we're on board with the beginning of this. We're thinking, wow, that's great. If we got forgiven of a huge debt, man, I'd be so grateful. In fact, you know, my credit card score is pretty, you know, this rating is pretty low, Jesus. If you could handle some of that, you know, get, help me out there. You know, so big debt, I'm on board with that. But as he goes farther into this parable, it gets more and more uncomfortable, doesn't it? It makes us sort of start shifting in our seat as we look at this man who's been forgiven a great debt and he turns around and he's ingrate. He's ungrateful. He won't forgive anybody else. In fact, he's so mean. He's so viciously mean that he throws his, his fellow servant in jail over a paltry amount. And by the end of it, we get to the end of this parable and it shakes us up and it says, is this me? Is this how I act? Is this how God sees me in my life that I'm denying other people second chances that God gave me? Am I denying Christ in my life through a lack of forgiveness? And the answer, the uncomfortable, unfortunate answer is yes. Absolutely, we fail to forgive as Christ forgave us. We fail to give people second chances. And that's why we get this warning here, this dire warning that God will hold it against us if we don't turn around and start incorporating forgiveness into our lives. But it's also an opportunity to respond to Christ and say, Lord, I want to be forgiving. I want that to be a natural pattern of my life that I am forgiving over and over again as you've forgiven me. I want to keep my eyes on you so that I'm constantly aware of this great debt that's been forgiven. So that when somebody comes to my door with their hat in their hand, when somebody apologizes to me, maybe even when somebody hasn't apologized to me, but they've wronged me, that I can forgive as he's forgiven. You see, God wants us to live a better life. He wants a better life for you. But he knows that this gift of joy and peace that he wants to give to you, you can't accept it if you're still harboring hate and revenge in your heart. You can't ever be at peace if you're looking at, around at people around you and say, they wronged me and I don't forgive them. You can't be at peace with that in your heart. So Jesus is saying, let's break this cycle. Let's break this cycle Let's forgive these people, and in return, I'm going to fill your life instead of vengeance and hatred. I'm going to fill it with joy and peace. I'm going to fill it with a better way. Or you can hold on to those things. Hold on to that sin of not forgiving and see where that gets you. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. Give other people a second chance as you have been given a second chance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, these parables know us better than we know ourselves. And we look at this parable of an unthankful, ungrateful servant, and we see ourselves in his face. 
We see the many times that others have asked us to forgive them. Many times that we've had an opportunity that you put it right in front of us, Lord, to give somebody a second chance. And we just, we just can't. We just refuse to. We don't have enough love in our heart yet. We don't have enough grace. We don't see you as clearly as we ought to. But Lord, I pray that this year would be a different year for us. That, Lord, first we would forgive other people. But also, Lord, that we would seize this immense second chance that you've given us. That we can go forward into 2021 knowing that you have laid out every day of this year in front of us. That we can live this year without the baggage of sin. Without all of our past trespasses and our past debt being counted against us. That, Lord, you won't bring up those ever again because you have forgiven us. Lord, we can live such a free life for that. And as we live that free life, we can help other people be freed from their debt against us. Lord, this is the life you want us to lead, and it's such a good life. But for many of us, it's very hard. And I just pray that you'll walk with us to help us to take those steps we need toward forgiveness, especially toward the, the harder things, the bigger things, the things that have wounded us greatly that we can be men and women who stand up and say, I forgive not because I'm a great person, but because my God is great, and he forgave me so much. In your name, amen.